William, thank you very much for um, coming here, being part of this evening's programme of talks, um, particularly on making our process and more particularly on an extraordinary artist. And I think I'm right in saying extraordinary friend. He was, although the truth is um, I, I wasn't a sitter. Um, I always refused. He asked me very sort of casually, formally, um, three times. Mm -hmm. And each time I said no, um, partly I was I was working for the Observer at the time and it would be inappropriate and I hadn't, hadn't got the time. And then um, I said I just didn't want to because I was doing his portrait, um, in effect, writing about him. And I didn't want us both to be on the same line. And the third time, I forget what happened, but anyhow, he went into a bar and was talking to somebody and they said, why hadn't he started painting me? And he said, I, I didn't want to do that because he looked so much like Lytton Stritchley. <laughs> which um, was, was possibly a compliment, but I don't know. I think you could take that on a compliment in, uh, in many ways, certainly in a literary one. Um, and because which uh, approach I think is something, I was wondering really how it sort of evolved into this uh, biography. I mean, obviously we would love, I'm sure here to, to share some of your insights, learn about some of the insights. Um, but I wondered perhaps, perhaps just by way of introduction, it would be interesting just to think about how, how this biography came to pass. Well, it was a very long and slow process. Um, Cause I first met Lucian in the early seventies um, with a view to writing about him for the Sunday Times magazine. Mm -hmm. So that was the start. Um, I got to know him much better from the mid eighties onwards, partly because I put him in an exhibition I did in Liverpool um, in 1983, 84. Uh -huh. And because of that, um, and because I linked him in with Michael Andrews and Frank Auerbach, the, the consequence of that was that this trio were, were very pleased to be shown for the first time together as a sort of special, in, in, special, special item. There was also Barry Flanagan and um, River yes. Mystery and um, other, other people in the um, large, this large sort of mixed exhibition. But Lucian was the one that really stuck. Yes. And it stuck because um, working with him to choose pictures for this Liverpool exhibition mm. opened my door to knowing much more about how he worked and how he operated. And um, we had a, a similar, rather weak sense of humour, I think, which um, <laughs> combined nicely so that gradually over the years, um, I was um, admitted to the circle I think it's a sort of Soho to Paddington circle of people who um, uh, live lived to paint, basically. And I, as a writer who did a bit of painting on the side, so I could be mocked very easily. <laughs> I um, was the person who I think first really thought that um, Lucian's life needed writing about. And so years ago, 30 years ago, it started. Um, and what's so interesting is it, it, it started almost as you say, as a whisper, just a sort of suggestion. And, and um, he must have, I suppose, had a, a sense of his own destiny at that point. He had come by that point, I think in part because of your exhibition program, a very established and recognized uh, artist. It wasn't always like that for him though, was it? Uh, he, he had to fight the course of painting. He had to, he had to keep going. I mean, all, all 
artists or painters um, have to keep going. And that's the main thing. A means of living, I suppose, is prime. But secondary is just simply keeping up the, the lonely pressure because it's a, a rather lonely, solitary occupation. Um, portrait painting, I suppose, helps a little bit. But it it is bound to be, if you've got a family life, it's work and family, um, and that's manageable. If you haven't got a family life, which Lucy on the whole didn't, you had successive um, sort of menages and arrangements and, and pursuits. Um, if you haven't got um, that sort of domestic life, then almost automatically, I suppose, um, and out of hours, out of working hours, another life develops. And Lucien's other life was extraordinarily um, prolific and, and uh, enticing. And he was very funny talking about it always. So I had the, I gathered the raw materials of this very remarkable person and a very remarkable person who was all too conscious that his grandfather, Sigmund, um, was possibly in the 1950s, 60s, after Hitler, the big, the, and possibly after Churchill, the best known um, figure surname um, mm -hmm. in, in, civil, in the civilized world, in the globe altogether, really. And so there was this thing about Lucian not wanting to be um, seen to be showing off by having a book written about him, not wanting to be identified too much with his grandfather, though jolly well helped to have a Sigmund Freud grandfather open doors um, from a very early age. And so the book that I was thinking of writing was a little little short monograph um, for a publisher whose name I won't mention just, just now. Um, and I got started. I persuaded him that a tape recorder wasn't a bad idea. He agreed to that. And we taped and taped and taped and taped. And when Frank Auerbach, his great friend, for example, um, rang up and asked him what he was doing, he'd say, I'm with my black box. And he was very proud of this book um, coming along. And so I had hours and hours of tapes. Yeah. And then suddenly he realized that um, it might not be all right. So he asked if I'd show him some chapters, which were already half written. And I did, and he absolutely freaked because he said he was talking rubbish, in, uh, as I quoted, um, and, and that it was um, an embarrassment and he really would like me to discontinue. So I naturally, after two and a half years work, thought it um, not something I'd like to do. So we talked and talked and eventually it was agreed that a novel could appear after he, dead, he was dead, um, which apart from the risk of me dying before he did, um, which we got over that one. Um, <laughs> the idea of a book about someone who'd got a picaresque life um, full of sort of scandals and, and incidents, the idea of this book appearing in, in his lifetime would be acutely embarrassing. And actually he hated the sound of his own voice and he was genuinely thought that um, to be quoted at great length in, in the in this potential book, um, would count as showing off and didn't want to show off, at least not in that way. So there were these stumbling blocks um, every now and again, but what he described as the first funny art book, um, and he boasted Nick Sorota and others that he's got this, we were doing this funny art book. Um, this whole thing got accepted as that I was carrying on and he, had his, he had my phone number, I didn't have his ever. 
he would do the ringing up. So it was his initiative that he rang up practically every day for the rest of his life until the, until the last year or so of his life when he wasn't up to phoning. And it was a, a very strange sort of gestation, very slow, very exhausting, and not very good for domestic life. Yes, I was going to say, because you were the recipient of, of it. Um, so quite an interesting analogy that, because in a way you are sitting for him, but in a very different capacity. Um, and I like the idea that uh, he's consciously talking with you. Um, I mean, it's one of the extraordinary things about the book is that his voice comes through. It's a very clever way of um, analogizing. So do, do I get the sense that you were, I mean, these were sort of notes made over time. I mean, it must be pretty complex, I think, because you've got the sense of his mind in conversation would go through points from yesterday to yesteryear to formative. He probably wasn't that chronological. Or did he have a sense of kind of destiny in talking to you, that he knew what he wanted to say? Well, you have to look at it the other way around, really. Um, he, he, contrary to any, any rumour, he was an incredibly hard worker and he concentrated completely on his work, which is basically around the clock, according to the availability of sitters, and, and they had to be punctual, A, and B, they had to um, not complain about being kept for something as five or six hours in one session. Mm. And so when he knocked off or when he took a pause, um, particularly in the middle of the afternoon, he would phone um, people he wanted to phone. And so practically every day for years and years, um, he'd, the, the, the voice would come, hello, William, how are things? How's it going? How old am I now? Now, how old am I now? I meant I was writing about him, how far have I got? And so there was this wonderful way that I could um, listen to him. I could scribble down notes because it was a phone. And so yeah. there's none of the artificial worry about um, the tape recorder, the black box. Yeah. Yeah. So I got this vast, vast pile of um, transcriptions. And there are, of course, the, the, the feeble bits and the nothing much happening bits and the me talking in more than him bits. But there are the the wonderful sort of epigrams and so on come out and his brains which were acute um would switch from the painting in progress to things from the past and i learned how to find odd well names um places occasionally um pictures of course um pop them into the conversation and he'd off he'd go and he'd, he'd tell me all sorts of things um my agent Deborah Rogers who would um, we, we were together for um, 35 40 years almost she uh, was always been terribly keen on doing this getting this book uh, launched and done mm -hmm. and um, for, um, for Deborah um, the, the book was a one volume not too big sort of thing and I said yeah maybe one volume but actually it wasn't and after a certain point it became a bit bulky um, yeah. I hadn't got a publisher then. We didn't put it out until after Lucy died. Um, and when the publishers, various publishers, put forward the case, I believe they'd be brilliant publishers. The one publisher I really was very keen on was Bloomsbury's, um, Bloomsbury's leader, and, and, and she, Alexandra Pringle, um, didn't turn her hair. She didn't complain when the book was at least five years overdue. 
She didn't um, criticize. She laughed out loud a lot, which was over the book, which I thought was a good sign. And she actually didn't mind the idea that it would turn out to be two volumes rather than one, which for publishers is a sort of a stretch slightly. Yes. So I was very happily served by the publishers at Bloomsbury, very happily served by my agent, Deborah Rogers, who kept me going for years. And I suppose I had a certain domestic life that was quite supportive too, because it was a terrible slog. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's enormous and... Uh, uh, and it's, I mean, really, just to hold yeah. it up, that this, is, this is a mere volume one, and it's, um, it's page after page after page. I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't, I won't apologise for it, because it's, I think there are two kinds of books. There's quick books, and then there's um, quarry books, books you go into for um, the odd page, the odd paragraph, the odd chapter. You read it right through, maybe, but you, you're meant to sort of delve into it and be amused, entertained, um, swept along. Yeah, it, um, it certainly does that. And actually, where, the way I'm um, receiving it is on Audible, um, which is fantastic uh, in its own right, a diff different um, mechanism. And it reminded me very much of those sort of Russian uh, novels where time has a different measure. You just you, you have no problem with spending time talking about a facet which might be but about two hours but it takes about 20 minutes to sort of work through that moment and think about it it's 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 incredibly um stately um and it's also incredibly stately. that's a good that's a good yeah, um, yeah it is it it's, is it's 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 meant to be you can life like on all sorts of book. levels Mm. <laughs> it's it's a life lived with to the full um and as you go on writing this is you find shapes developing and the great shape is that lucian was a sort of he wasn't an everyman for the 20th century because that'd be um rude all around and and, and a mistake and a bit pompous as well Lucian, though, did touch on an extraordinary pathway through the century. And the more I talked to him, the more I found out, partly the um, upbringing in Berlin um, and his grandfather in Vienna coming and uh, clicking his um, uh, prosthetic jaw at him and giving him money and books and um, entertaining yeah. him with very feeble jokes. As, aside of the great Freud, which little Lucian Freud cottoned on to very early on. And then coming to London, um, coming to school after school after school, and for some reason had to leave each one. Because he was a brand story. The story sort of grew and grew, and he was being funny about it. He was sort of looking over my shoulder as I wrote, so to speak. Um, and it was marvellous material. And I thought, Boswell's Life of Johnston, I um, inherited the, the four or five volumes of it, leather-bound volumes, and I thought this is about the most off-putting book you could possibly imagine. But then I read it, read through it, dipped into it, and was sort of so delighted to find that Dr. Johnson was actually a, a marvellous character, and said wise things, and silly things, and that it was a subject. And I thought then that a biography can be that. It's got to um, step into the it's got to step into the trousers of the subject and exploit them and be not 
conniving, but but actually the the voice that the conductor, I suppose, conducting all the orchestral voices and events and incidents and interests and the social circles that the subject required. Now, with the best room in the world, you couldn't do the same with Henry Moore, because Henry yeah. Moore led a bit of a boring life, really. He just he just knocked out the sculptures or supervised them and became very, very famous and profound and a great gentleman and a rather nice man. He was very nice to my son. Um, my son complained about having sisters who um, <laughs> were um, sort of bullies, as sisters tend to be to single little boys. And Henry Moore described how his upbringing was being dominated by bullying sisters. So all these sort of things come together and they produce a, a rich mix, which I hope works as well in audio as it does in, on the page. I prefer it, I have to say, on the page. Um, I, I thought you would say that and I, and I, I hope you don't take against me for, but uh, I, I just... Quite all right. It's quite yeah, all right. exactly. Any which way. Uh, and I, and, it, and, it's, uh, um, and it's, I, it's a worthy way of, of cloning it, actually. But I would like a physical copy. I think there's nothing less than that to dip into. Um, but it is interesting because Henry Moore helped a lot of people. I know a lot of artists who cite him as someone who helped them. Like he's very constructive. And that sounds rings with the purpose of his art, the constructive. Um, but Lucian, in the voice that comes through, painted life but he also painted life in the sense of put life together he paginated it and that's what i thought was so telling and i was wondering whether you felt that in some way whether painting was just a cipher for his interest in people well painting um covers everything and the the the, the, the silliest uh, criticism of lucian and painters like him is i think that um what are you doing painting portraits in the 21st century? Because um, nobody would do that. It's, it's not cutting edge, it's not advanced. But actually, when you're working in your studio, you get to know people much more intensely, intensively than or, and most of us do, unless you're a dentist, to know the inside of people's mouths um, backwards. And so Lucian's carry on which was and he was so articulate and he was so funny and he liked such bad jokes and so on all these things come together to make him human and when he when he complained to me bitterly that you know he was this was um rubbish that he was speaking and he really it really yeah. wouldn't do yeah i said you know you want to know something about titian but we don't know much about titian beyond the pictures um um, we've got Van Gogh's letters because he was getting money off his brother and so he wrote the letters and the letters are wonderful and they've, they're at least half of what makes Van Gogh the world's most favourite mm. painter, I suppose. And so mm. a book becomes, for certain artists, an absolutely essential sort of um, extra added on, I think, and the we, we need to know, or will need to know, our, our, our descendants will need to know who are the people who are painted by him, uh, how did they get on with him, what were the circumstances, and rather like being a, a specialist doctor or, or a dentist, Lucien in his studio was studying on a great range of people, some of them family, but many of them just mere acquaintances, some of whom um, did brilliantly for him, some of whom he did absolutely brilliantly for, and you know, this, 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 uh, hold, hold up a couple of examples. There is 
um, the early portrait of his wife, Kitty, his first wife. Um, people say how cruel she's strangling the kitten. It's not because its claws aren't sticking out. So it's a perfectly relaxed kitten. Yeah. People interpret portraits in ways that they want to interpret them. And the one, this, this, this little one, which is Titchy, it, it, when he used to take it away from St. James's Palace um, after, after a sitting, um, he kept it in a shoebox. It's that size. And this painting, well, the Queen, if anything, has grown to look more like it, I think, over the years since it was done. Mm. Um, there are all these cliches about portrait painting, but actually what it is, is a wonderful cast of characters. And so for writing volume one particularly, I had to produce the, the, the Berlin background, the, the leaving of Germany in 1933, the poor little boy and his two brothers, speaking a tiny bit of English, but not much, and being Germans at the time, it wasn't, it was becoming unpopular to be German in Britain, um, hopeless academically, simply because um, he wasn't particularly interested except in stories and in, in, in the art side of things, and becoming, one way or another, very good material for a future biography. But then I found great incidents in his life which were of extreme importance, particularly in 1941, he, he, he ran away to sea. Now in 1941, to run away to sea and go into a convoy across the Atlantic yeah. at the age of 18, wasn't possibly the most wise choice of, of thing to do. But what happened on this voyage was terror, um, great discomfort, um, mocking by the crew because he, there was this, by the sort of rather high pitched Germanic accent, mm. um, arrested on arrival in Canada because he'd got a 1939 portrait, uh, um, passport. And haha, no passports were issued to Germans in 1939, um, said the customs official calling the police in Halifax. But Lucien had to explain that, well, actually, um, Princess Mary Bonaparte, who was a great admirer of Sigmund Freud, had got the Duke of York to intervene with the Home Office so that the Freud family could all have passports. And that's what happened. So little Lucian Freud, an adolescent, was already caught up in affairs of state. Um, he was already, when he went to, on this convoy there and back, mm. subjected to the most horrific experiences one could possibly have at that time, I suppose, short of being blitzed and short of being um, suffering the right of, In Wiltshire, uh, exactly. Yes. <laughs> he, he got through these things with, with, with good humour and they made extremely good material for a book and it would have been terrible if these things had been lost altogether and just confined to perhaps a, an odd catalogue entry which wouldn't have worked. I couldn't agree with you more. I, it absolutely is arguably the most essential part about um, understanding paintings is to understand the person behind the paintings and um, you have to have that tapestry of German immigration, I think, to really and sort of ado adoption into the UK um, society and artistic oeuvre to understand his preoccupation, I think, don't you? Um, and I yes, I, I, it's, it's, it's very clear that um, when coming to England and being an outsider and being 
they've got a, they've got some money, and his father was an architect, and and got odd bits of work, and looked after um, an, an estate in North London. Um, the, the, there was the family, there was a circle of friends he made at school and and developed in Soho, um, and gradually these things sort of added up to um, a, a viable life. But all the time he was Germanic, um, he was Jewish, um, he was therefore in a position to sort of look at English society in a state of sort of rather wonderment mm. and what he ended up been doing was you know he walked through Shepherd's Market and uh, the, the, the Tarts and Shepherd's Market would call out to him say hello Lou and so he knew all of them yeah. he knew fellow painters and he, the people he'd been at school with the people he studied in an art school in East Anglia the East Anglian Art School which he accidentally burnt down in, uh, one night um, which yeah good I think it's, <laughs> event to discuss yeah and and then of course he got to know the dukes and and he asked a girlfriend late in life um what would she like to do this evening she said oh english society with a kind of fascination and it gave him a, not only a, a hold on things but also an angle which comes out all the time in the work and the work of course was the most important thing as i hope the book makes clear that i am providing enormous captions to pictures rather than um, producing something to substitute for the pictures, which of course um, writing isn't. The, the great international language we painters always say we've got is painting. It doesn't need translation. But the, I mean, he did have extraordinary, <laughs> he did choose his friends uh, and lose his friends. He was quite assiduously, uh, didn't he? I mean, he yes. uh, was very categoric, if you like, if, about uh, the rights and wrongs and to cross cross him uh, was almost to be cut off in perpetuity I think it's fair to say isn't it? Yes very he wasn't of a forgiving kind um, he did not like to be um, taken advantage of and um, that again is back to the wall back into a corner he'd come out like a rat biting and um, very very friendly with Francis Bacon for years until he started being successful and yeah. Bacon started I think doing too many those perishing triptychs, you know, on yeah. and on, on. Oh. and they quarrelled, although not so much quarrelled as backed off one another, yeah. and bad mouthed one another. Yeah. Um, he had um, usually um, was one or two painters, people he'd helped, uh, painter Chris Bramham, um, for particularly um, was an example of someone Lucy steadfastly helped over a number of years, mm. uh, and there were um, Frank Auerbach, who's in the later years was his great, greatest um, painter friend, artist friend, and who, um, again, yeah. there were things in common, but also primary, the work. The work is what counted. And I suppose that sort of nuance, that ability to pick up slight is almost the kind of visual equivalent of being able to pick up the nuance of the fall of light or the fleck of a hair or the of a skin you sort of have to be that on edge i think um perhaps as a painter i i would suggest i don't know well he he, he became not never a fluent painter always a, 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 a slowly struggling painter and the work as the work improved or changed and got better and got got fuller richer mm -hmm. um and more not serious, but more more penetrating. I mean, the extraordinary images. Like, shall we pick this one of? Brilliant, brilliant. 
that is a wonderful thing. Do you want to pull and that just up high? Can I hold it up high? Yes. You are brilliant. Sorry, it was kind of... um, I'm afraid to. to you, you need to see the pictures themselves. This is a, a terrible cheap substitute for showing them. But the paintings you. so brilliantly. Um, so this is an ex jockey um, who guy guy who had a, a garage. Um, did a bit of antique dealing, a bit of a card, look at his signet ring, look at the way that Yorkshire Terrier is keeping an eye on us, whereas yeah. Guy is pretending not to be looking. Um, the invention of the portraits, the great variety of sitters who all in their way from Jerry Hall, for a rather, we have to go to volume two to see what, what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> that will disclose it now. Um, the, the sitters, not only uh, all there in the paintings, but actually he's covering the 20th, 20th century in his portraiture. And again, when, the, when he wanted to have a bit of quiet, he would look at um, outside the windows of convenient houses or his studio and paint the outside world. He didn't want to travel to, to work particularly, not, not after the age of eight, 18 or 19. Mm. He sought thought of work as studio-based, studio-bound, and there was nothing that was boring about it. It was a window full of buddleia outside, paint the buddleia, when it's not got a sitter. And so the idea that Lucian was somehow, like many painters, um, a relic from um, 18th or 19th century painting practice, and that therefore is irrelevant in the 20th century, is, I think, a nonsense because if you create a painting which is memorable and outlives you, then you've done, you've done pretty well and art history sort of um, washes around it. But the landmarks in art are always these particular works, these particular things, or um, be broad, broader minded, particular movies, particular sequences, photographs, particular events, particular occasions. All these things are the particulars of the age we live in. And for Lucian, the obsession the passion meant that all the sort of um, anecdotal stuff that happened to him outside the studio or around the studio was less important than actually producing the work. And I wanted to reflect that in the book very much, that all the time the work was going on and all the time his rapscallion uh, activities, which included gambling enormously, um, losing yeah. enormous amounts of money on the horses. Um, these things were all part of feeding the 24-hour round that was his usual working day. I was interested in that. Do you th I mean, he, because he, he picked up gambling shortly after he picked up horses, I think, uh, which I think he yes. picked up in Wiltshire, actually. Or it, no, actually, it was down in Dartington, wasn't it? They were... Uh, there was a stable attached to the do you, do you think the kind of wantonness... I mean, I, 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 I don't know whether he... I mean, I, I think he enjoyed the losing as much as... The winning at gambling. Do you think that um, sort of spurred he him? Loved, on? He loved the idea of clearing his, clearing himself out, being completely broke and not caring. Yeah. Um, mm. and, he, and he didn't want to do it just to win. He to, to lose is almost better than winning in some cases. When he got seriously rich towards the end of his life, it, he, he said it rather lost its attraction. But yeah. he also loved horses, and he was very good with them. Um, he was very good with animals. Um, dogs. Well, actually, he wasn't good. He loathed cats. He thought they were sort of creepy creatures. Um, he, 
he and his whippets, um, well, he's had, he's had dogs of all kinds down, down the decades. He, he loved them because their appetites are never disguised. There's no pretense. They don't tell lies. Um, they're always interested in their surroundings and, and, and the, the, the humans they're attached to. Um, this is stuff of cliche, really, that, you know, the dog, uh, dog is a man's best friend. Well, in life, and he, Lucien taught me this, dogs are a man's best friend. Um, he, he, he gave us a, a whippet um, late one night. He rang up and said, because one of my daughters was, was um, not very well, he said, I got her a dog. And all my objections to a dog in London, you know, so and so, no good, um, disappeared. And it was me that looked after a dog from day of to course. day. Your, your daughter is Freelance life, sitting at home, you have a dog and you're happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. These are very simple things, but actually great art comes of very simple things. And he was a brilliant painter of dogs, but also a brilliant painter of people as dogs, so to speak. You know, not for their labels, their dignitaries, their, their dukedoms or whatever. But, but that, that, that way of holding themselves, the way of them being attuned to him, and it, yeah. it is a kind of tuning. I, it is, isn't it? and I think it's very present to today where we have a you know greater moral equivalence of animal alongside humanity. Um, yes, yes, it's extreme, you could say it's fashionable almost, couldn't you? Now because it's fashionable, exactly that. Um, um, whales, we we love our whales and dolphins. We love mollusks. We love all sorts of things. We we appreciate that we're just part of the whole thing. Of the, of the, of the chamber, and you're, you're right, you look at his portraits of Billy, and you've got, and you know, one of the whippets lying on him, and, and they've got sort of equal equivalents, haven't they, They're really, in terms of... Yes. Um, and of and course, they, practically, they, pose, they sleep half the day, and they pose very well, therefore, lying yeah. on their sides. So very, the practical things are always there. And again, in the book, you the anecdotes come in, but the practicalities of, of, of life is not being romantic or anything like that but then yeah. hard work and relaxation and do you think do you think um uh it, he was i mean his sense of humor i think you you pick up on it rightly i love the thought of him if you like putting this kind of like portrait the last portrait that he did self-portrait is really with you as the brush in posterity in like a posthumous portrait so he's kind of painting out or blocking out during his lifetime for you to complete. I really love that analogy. Uh, not least because I think there's a kinship of, of humor. I think, so I think, it, I don't know, I, I have a sense he probably would have enjoyed this moment knowing that this was happening. I don't know. Um, well, he was, terribly, he was terribly funny and he, he attracted great, um, a great following of people um, who he worked from, who were, remained loyal to him, liked him, even if, a relationship had been involved, which which came to an end. Um, but he still um, attracted, um, what I say, good attention. And he was complete, rather like a, a fearless dog, or fearless, fearless four-legged creature. He pursued things. Um, it was an admirable way of conducting a life. It wasn't very um, good on the domestic front, but it was enough to for him to attract um, some of his offspring. Um, as sitters, and to have good, strong, um, loving and affectionate and uh, entertained uh, um, relations with him. He almost always um, broke the suspicion that he was a monster, that he was um, a, a deadly monster, 
that he was um, somehow an obsessive who sort of used other people and cast them away. It wasn't like that at all. It was a badly behaved life in conventional terms. Um, he'd have got chucked out of most golf clubs, one hopes. Um, and yet, of course, he lived life extremely fully and um, it was a remarkable um, aplomb in the last instance. And I think that did result in what was um, quite a funny art book because the life of the artist is um, well, full of hijinks at the best of times. At the worst of times, it's a long, dull, dreary slog. And the painter's task is to create something out of those two sort of polarities. I, I totally agree. And, and likewise, it's extremely easy on a biography to kind of, if you like, slog out some pretty turgid material um, that might be art historically. Well, uh, here's, here's, here's volume two, for example. And by. <laughs> Uh, but the nice thing about it is that volume one and volume two are quite different. And yeah, we yeah. do change over our lifetimes or yeah. we develop, don't we? And um, with any luck, we, we get a, a chance to do what we really want to do if we're lucky. And with painters who manage to um, overcome financial problems, um, it's, a, it's a, a fulfilled life. It, it, it is. And... Um, interesting also, I think one of those things is the accolade of being understood. I mean, financial success uh, quite often goes in hand in hand with this, but not always on uh, the case. Um, sometimes very financially successful artists don't have that much to say. And those who do have a lot to say sometimes are not financially successful. But he, he, we've, he, met, we've, we've both met those, those, those artists, I accept. Exactly. Um, and... Um, there was a lovely comment, which I'll, I'll bring in, if I may, from Susie Blundell, who sends you her very best. And I'll, I'll mention it because it's come in through the chat that you may be able to see or may not. But um, mainly because it's to that point about the uh, show at the Tate and how pleased he was, not able to come and uh, visit in, in person because he was working on his portrait of Kate Moss. Uh, and, um, but that the show had been better attended than, than Francis Bacon's exhibition. Uh, yes, um, well. <laughs> I, I think um, these certain scores have to be, have to be yeah, totted up. Have to, absolutely. But, but it has to be said that the Tate did not expect, take, uh, well, the new Tate Britain, it did not expect it to be a particular attraction, this, this great retrospective. Mm -hmm. um, and when it was pointed out that actually, yes, more than a thousand copies of the catalogue probably would be, be um, sold, um, in fact, a great deal number more than that, and it would be um, mobbed. Um, and they said, uh, on, 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 I, won't, I won't name people at Tate, um, said, really worried, they don't want to have any kind of um, bottlenecks if, these, if people are unexpectedly turn up and form queues. I mean, this would be, you know, disturbing. And Lucian said, bottlenecks, bottlenecks, I want bottlenecks round the block. Absolutely. <laughs> that was the idea of people going to see his work. But he didn't want to be seen to be seeing this, naturally, yeah, quite rightly. Yeah, he yeah. only went to see it a couple of times after it opened. Um, um, and, and he said that, part of anything else, um, seeing it was reminding him almost all the people and the paintings were dead. And that yeah. it was, a, as for him, rather a kind of uncanny and ghoulish thing to do to walk through his lifetime. That's, yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? And do you think his relationship with, I mean, we touched on his way, manner of painting, which I think maybe answers the question, but I'll pick it up because we've been asked, uh, uh, um, his relationship with, with women in that way, 
painterly wise, I should say, rather than privately, although both, I think, mesh together. Quite they, they mesh, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I wondered if you had, how you would describe him of that generation um, as a lover of, of, of life, rather, I mean, but objective about women or, or caring, how would you say? I think he was an extraordinarily um, honest painter, painter, painter of, of what he saw and knew in front of him. Um, the most insulting paintings by men of women are surely um, ones that, that glamorize or gloss up or um, uh, sexualize in a kind of um, um, men only way um, things. And Lucien was absolutely not that. Um, fairly picaresque life in his way, and um, there, were some, there were deplorable incidents. Um, and, and he, like, you know, dogs bad behavior, I suppose. Yeah. I'm not, um, I don't think I need to, extenu uh, to extenuate things or to uh, pass over things lightly. Um, he got on very well with women and, he, and women loved him because he was um, mercurial, yeah. and yeah. unexpected. Yeah, and interesting. Gave uh, people undivided attention. He normally he'd only speak, see one at a time, and every time and I used to go and see all the new pictures as they got to turning points or got almost finished or finished. And his full attention was on what I was thinking about the picture, however crass what I was thinking about the picture might be. And this applied to those who saw the pictures in the, in, as they were on the on on the, on the go, and the people he, he painted. There's no sexism there, I don't think, because men and women were treated exactly the same. Um, and That's one can find, make Freudian excuses for that or explanations for that, but um, I think there are far, there are far more, there are more, much, much more reprehensible ways of going through life than Lucian's way of going through life. Oh, yeah. I think so. I, I, I think the summary is more along the lines of, well, why is he not painting them beautifully? And I think the answer to that is because he's painting them honestly. Um, yes, and the word beautiful is a very, very dodgy word, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Um, and um, <laughs> so, but interesting to think about moving on through that, about representation or representational art, if that's the way we would frame his work. Um, and its popularity, its enduring popularity, it is retrospective, and its enduring popularity now, the sort of the painterly language. Um, I remember predominantly through the 90s being surmised as kind of on its deathbed. It was always on its deathbed. Uh, it's always been on its deathbed, actually, since the yeah. 14th century. I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's obviously its kind of natural, natural state of living, I would suspect. <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, people, lots of, a lot of people have this itch to, to do the painting. And a lot of people have the itch to see the painting, and they yeah. are. This, it's a bit like dogs being good to have relationships with. Um, yeah. You can have relationships with paintings, in, unlike no, no translation needed really. Um, nothing in the way of um, formal education needed. Um, they're direct, and it's a bit like acting, um, which you can work even if you don't know the language, um, and yeah. better than acting because a they're well, you can invest in them in a way you can't in actors. <laughs> and you can buy them and you can collect them. You can put them in museums and you can protect them from um, all the ravages of everything else. Yeah. And they don't get old. They just remain relevant or not. 
what Lucian's reputation will be like in 100 years' time, none of us know. We don't know. He didn't know. We don't know. No, but they, I do love that, um, particularly about returning to the staticness. I mean, it's, it's the idea of the static portrait and you change around it. And it's lovely to come back and see references, frame of reference. Um, do, you, do you think he, um, I wanted to think about his name, his reputation about coming across uh, and legacy because a biography is an important thing. A biography in your hands, I think it's a really, we talked about it, it's a wonderful book. And I know that people will enjoy and not be daunted by it. Um, but do you think he was daunted by his reputation, uh, his legacy of his name? Um, in terms he of- He used his grandfather, um, his mm. grandfather's name initially. Um, he had, um, with the other grandchildren, um, a, a slice of the royalties after his grandfather died. So he owed him a bit that way. Um, it came a point though, I think, where I, I would say that it's quite possible that more people have heard of Lucian Freud in some circles than have heard of Sigmund Freud, because Sigmund Freud is not the figure he was 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. He was number one, was like Einstein. Yeah. Um, but now we see Sigmund Freud as more the, um, the um, performer, um, the dramatist, the storyteller, the joker, um, yeah. all those things, which rather than medical qualifications. Yeah. And, so Sigmund Freud's image and reputation have completely changed and it's now recognized, I think, differently from what it was in the 1950s and 60s. So the same with painting. Painting's dead, it's always been dead. Um, but suddenly somebody comes along and does something that excites people voluntarily. Yeah. And from, from my speaking completely personally and selfishly, but for the last year, I've been pretty miserable without being able to drop into the National Gallery. Um, or anywhere else, any other artistic centre. Well, I've got my boring old paintings uh, <laughs> to despair over, which nobody else has seen over this year. This year has been a terrible test case of uh, those who love painting. Um, and, and also, I would also those who love people, because portraits are, um, they're about two, two things, really. They're about obviously the painter, but also the sitter. Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and, that's been. That's part of the the, the awfulness of the last year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thrown back on our own resources. Our own resources are actually external to us very often, and and we've been deprived of them. It it is interesting. And and have you in any way thought that the conversations you had? Because I I I, I think you were sitting for a period of time for our back, weren't you? And 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 you've kept that. Uh, well, you've kept that going vicariously through conversation on, on, on the phone. I wonder whether you ever thought yeah. the two things being the same or... or Not the same at all. I mean, I, for 18 years, I've been going every Monday night, six to eight, um, and the others, Jake, his son, and Catherine Lampert, and um, David Landau, and Julia Arbach, we are the, the gang that sit for him night after night. And we haven't for the last year, and it's a very odd and strange and... and my point of view, um, odd that I don't go for this weekly session of gossip, yeah. chat, and thought, and everything. Um, yes. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, one of the things we must uh, encourage you to do, uh, and 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 welcome you to, if you if you would, both of you, with, your, with uh, together, come down 
to Wiltshire, to our barn uh, in Tisbury, um, not least of it because, um, as I understand, uh, Lucian lived in Anstey, just up the road, um, through the 1950s. Coombe uh, Priory, yes. Coombe Priory, uh, absolutely. And, and uh, did a little tiny mural which became when the house sold recently and the mural had been uncovered, it, 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 it was, cost almost as much as the house itself. <laughs> Probably for good, for good reasons. And he did, um, it is extraordinary to think of his life starting in Berlin through our small part of the world in, in Wiltshire. Uh, and of course, uh, famously setting fire to Cedric Morris's studio um, yes. school um, on the East Coast because he, he hollowed it up there as well. So, so somehow just subconsciously um, having a nose for the kind of, I suppose, the sort of painterly hotspots, really, of the country. It's interesting. Yes, he, he, he had a good eye for landscape, but he didn't paint it as a conventional thing at all. He, he um, was, he had terrifically well-exercised blinkers, I think, and, you know, he, that, and they, they focused him. And they, they they stopped him from distraction. But the distractions followed quite quite a ritual for, form, which included the pursuit of potential sitters and so on and so on. Yeah. Um, but you know, only only Lucian would um, marry um, daughter of Epstein, and yeah. then marry a Guinness, and then not get married anymore. Um, you know, he wherever he went, I suppose armed with his surname. Um, but mainly armed with his charm and his vehemence and his dedication and his spirit. Um, he could go anywhere, meet anyone, and whereas operating basically in a smaller part of inner London, um, it, that was a big enough world for him to be. Yeah, and immersed. it became a centre of a universe that he constructed, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. do you think he was driven in that way? I mean, was it that sense of purpose? I was sort of alluding to it or thinking about it a bit in, in the framework of his family's reputation, but maybe there was something else that was there driving driving him, just a kind of a sense of being, really, a sense of connecting, um, making sense of the world. He was a very remarkable person whenever he came into a room, and, and he was scuffily dressed in huntsman's um, overcoats and things. I mean, he was it was the best of clothing, but the worst of wearing. Um, <laughs> he would come into a he would come into a room, and people would back off slightly as though there was, because there was, this was an exhibit coming into the room and he'd, he'd, he'd look terribly strained and he'd, um, he'd spot me or somebody who knew and he'd, he'd come over and that would be, that'd be a relaxation. But then you'd see his attention going over one's Very left shoulder <laughs> and gimlet and, yeah. and, and he'd see, seen someone who might prove interesting as he put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he was terribly open to um, finding um, people to paint um, and and at the same time, um, very nervous, and preferred on the whole talking to one person at a time. It didn't like crowds. A table full was all right if, as long as he was outwitting Frank yeah. or whoever. Um, yeah. And it was a sort of competitive set of yeah. But basically, um, he had a direct sighting of what he wanted to do, who he wanted to be with, where he wanted to go, and horses might go too fast or too slow, um, things might go wrong in his life otherwise, but it was always the painting and that, that was his lifeline. It's interesting, and some, 
something they do say about symbols, they, they, they almost know the next step before they get, before they even take it. I mean, they kind of got that prescience of sort of, that's the person I need to paint next, or, and it becomes a conviction. It almost yes. like you manifest your own destiny in some way uh, yes. through, through that. And, and incredible um, attention to detail, not in a slavish way, but, but just making everything go that bit further. And Frank used to, uh, always noticed that Lucian would, would ask him whether he thought it was done, and Frank would probably say, I think it could be done, um, maybe it's done. Um, and Lucian said, I don't think so, really. And he'd go off and do another month or two on it. And it would, and it would uncalculatedly, um, change brilliantly it's, it's it's absolutely fascinating and um i suppose uh much like a painting at some point um i think the two things have the same analogy isn't it neither get finished um you just put them down i think isn't that the, isn't that the phrase that describes finishing a painting and a book? yes you, you you slit their throats you 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 kick them to bits um you have that great pleasure like losing all your money um that great clear out yeah and, and again, that was admirable, and he didn't let out rubbish. Um, and there were one or two um, which didn't didn't work quite so well, and he, he greatly regretted it. But if they were costing X million, um, he couldn't bring them back. And it, just, yeah. one, one particular one, which I won't mention who she was, um, went off to Brazil, and he thought Brazil was the land for which no one returned from, so therefore it was so safe. But blow me, it came up back to Sotheby's within three oh. years, and that was embarrassing. It's, it's always the way, it's always the bad pennies that turn up. And, and um, the, but I think your biography is the same in a way that you, um, your publisher, you know, has, has, you know, for one more month, we've read, we've read one more year, and then five more years to rightly put it together. And, and I know you must be justifiably proud of that. Um, not these, as a tribute to a great friend, uh, but also a very unique and totally unresearchable uh, document. I mean, you could never, no one could put these sort of thoughts together unless they've had the time divested ahead of time uh, to provide the resource for it. It's extraordinary. Um, that, thank you. I, 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 that's that's true. I mean, it's um, it's not a it's not an exhaustively um, archive searching book. It's much more. Um, the horse's yeah. mouth. It's, it's, and it's, it is, it is very well. So, so for everybody who's here, please do not be daunted at all. Uh, see in its size uh, something of the tribute to the interest and the fascination um, that's there. It's a, it's a brilliant insight. Um, it's very good, Johnny, to read um, on the summer months if you're not going to abroad. Yes. Just find some green corner of this island and take the volumes. One to lie back or head on, resting on, read the other one. And, <laughs> and rest the other one. Um, and, um, well, you, you're, I mean, you have a, a library, we were just talking about it, uh, of research and knowledge uh, about Lucian, and, and in many ways you've put that to rest. Do you, do you feel you've, you've, you've done him proud? Do you feel you put it to rest now, or um, you not? Further thoughts. I've, I've done my recent books. So I've done a number, several others. <laughs> so that's it. Yes. <laughs> Onto new things. Uh, well, but he's it, always there. Always there. It's. It is. It is really lovely. I um, would love to. Um, as I say, we, we'll, we'll certainly have it if we may. Um, 
if we'd have our own bookstore, we'd love to keep some copies there for anybody. We'll do, it's, it's available, yes. Yeah, 100%, uh, for that reason as well, but, but also because it is a great thing to pick up. And I know it's going to be a testament and something to understand his legacy and work in the future for anybody who's interested, as we all are in his work and him as a person. Um, I feel like we've rushed through a, 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 an hour and uh, William, I just wanted to thank you uh, very much on behalf of everybody for um, putting together your time uh, with Lucy and Freud and making it come alive for us as well, uh, which is a great joy of expertise. Thanks, thanks very much, Johnny, and uh, I look forward to seeing the Tithe Barn in its new in its new guise. <laughs>